Welcome to the Concrete Solutions Network. On our show this morning is a very special guest of ours, a local and a tenured industry veteran with a lot of experience with waterproofing and restoration, Jim Andrews of American Restore out of Huntington Beach, California. Jim, welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning, Chris. Uh, Jim, today's topic is going to be specific to elevator pits, and we find that this scope is oftentimes sought out by engineers that are experiencing unwanted ingress of groundwater at their elevator pits, which could be obviously very detrimental from a host of uh, you know angles, the least of which is safety. You've got utilities in those pits, as you and I both know, and I uh, just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your experiences as it relates to urethane injection with chemical grouts, both on the hydrophobic and hydrophilic side, uh, and just you know some aspects of elevator injection on the basic side that you might be able to share some tidbits uh, for our listeners this morning on. And uh, I guess I'll get started and say, where do you find, Jim, uh, the elevator pits leaking the most? What, what part of an elevator pit do you find is, is the most problematic? Well, it's it depends on how it's built. If it's if it's poured in place, uh, it's generally cold joints and then subsequently cracks from settlement. If it's uh, CMU, the and the grout, the cells aren't properly grouted. The water can wick through the block itself. But uh, most commonly, it's cold joints and and, it, and then there's penetrations. But usually, what we see are cold joints. Gotcha. And it's usually, it's usually the floor to wall joint. Yeah, yeah. Typically, you have your slabs poured first, and then those walls tend to sit on those slabs in most cases. Yep, gotcha. All right. Uh, in terms of the, in, you know, enveloping the elevator pit, I mean, guys will hit the cold joints, hit the cracks, but sometimes the need to go above and beyond that exists, where you might have to do some curtain injecting and or some blanket injecting, almost put this thing in a bathtub, right? Um, do you ever do you ever propose that out of the gates, Jim, or do you try to focus on just the the spots that are problematic uh, one at a time? We always uh, collaboratively and very transparently share with the client. It's usually the owner at this point. Uh, the good, better, best process, where usually if it's there's active water, the only way to really mitigate that is with grouting. And then we will subsequently propose a variety of, of, of inter interior systems sort of as a belt suspenders. So we've used successfully over the years uh, negative cementitious after the grouting. The grouting really stops the water. The grouting gets the, the pit dry so that you can subsequently put something on the inside. And we even will go as far as after the cementitious is reacted properly putting a moisture insensitive epoxy over that. That way it's, 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 it's belt and suspenders because generally uh, they want to stop any kind of not only water moisture, but even vapor, which can cause corrosion to the components inside the pit. Yeah. And of course today, a big, a big cost associated with this kind of work is having a technician, uh, an elevator technician raise the car Sometimes they, they're there, or sometimes they raise it and they'll come back and lower it. But yeah. we fixed pits in, in, the, in the greater Los Angeles area where our, our price, our, our bill was cheaper than the tech elevator technician's bill. 
on average, uh, time-wise, to get an elevator pit completed in terms of making it watertight, what do you guys typically see uh, in your in your dealings with elevator pit injection? Well, normally the injection component, it, it, you know, in one pit can be a day. We just did a job where we did three pits in one building, and we did them all in about a day and a half. Wow. Uh, but you know, it's it, it, a lot of it has to do with the experience of the crew. And the and the cooperation we get from the owner and the uh, you know the elevator company on this particular building they were able to take them all out of service during the day so yeah. just we could get in and and get it done so I think we I think we I think there was four shafts and we did three of them so one of them was left in service gotcha yeah so you still kept one up and running for the for the owner that's good um, and you talked a little bit about that the idea of a technician with the uh, elevator pit and having that individual be able to raise the car up and down in terms of new laws and things like that. I mean, you've seen those get instated and put in place to where that's mandatory now, huh? Well, in California it is, and I don't know when it happened. It's been many years now, but, but, uh, years ago we were able to raise and lower the cars ourselves. But at some point, uh, I think it was lobbied by the elevator companies, um, and maybe it was the insurance companies, I don't know, but the liability for somebody that wasn't properly trained, I mean, we had some guys that knew what they were doing, but in some cases you have to de-energize, so they'll lift the car, shut the power off, you know, we do our thing, however long that takes, and they come back, re-energize, and, and you know, put the car back in service. And, Got and it. Generally, when we get calls about these wet pits, it's because they called an elevator company to do either an annual inspection or maintenance or something like that. And the elevator guy's like, hey, you got water in your pit. And so that that's, you know, a lot of times these elevator techs are what initiate these problems because the owners don't go look at these pits. Right, exactly. Uh, or there, a lot of these guys, a lot of these these buildings or structures will have sump systems and if they the sump system is activated a lot of these more modern sophisticated buildings they know when water's being uh pumped out of something whether it's the pits or the dewatering system for the building or whatever they they generally there's somebody associated with the building that's paying attention to that yep yeah that's that's a good point yeah and it's it's important to kind of, like I said, always keep an eye on those types of things because as we're, and the reason we're discussing this is it's imperative to get that pit as dry as you can. That segues me into a question, Jim, I've got for you. Um, hydrophobics and hydrophilics, your experiences with either, both, et cetera, and, and the why behind when you use either or both, what, do you, what have you got to share with our listeners about that? Well, the the chemistry really has to do with the environment you're you're trying to permeate. Yeah. And and soil density, soil mass, backfill, uh, is there a drain board? Is there a drain system? I mean, there's all these things that yep. you either know or you don't know. And and uh, on a on a significant job, not an elevator pit, but on a significant job, we'll core we'll we'll core the building. And uh, we'll see what kind of waterproofing, if, if any, is back there. Is there a drain board? Uh, what's the soil density? What's the annular space that has to be grouted? And and so basically, an elevator pit is a miniature version of a of a you know a significant job. So not knowing what you're permeating, you might start with a hydrophilic because you can lower the centipoise of the of the of the grout. 
Yeah. And with a lower centipoise material, you, you can permeate finer masses. Um, with the hydrophobics, uh, as you know, you can, you can create foams and uh, a more significant grout structure. And when you're trying to do a standalone waterproofing job, you know, sometimes you have to use different chemistries. Yep. So, uh, you know, we're lucky in that we've been doing it a long time. So we got all kinds of weird equipment for multi-ratio and stuff. And then we've got guys that have been doing it a long time. So, you know, we kind of give the technicians the tools and the chemistry and they go out and sort of attack these things. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, I mean, I hope that answers the question. I mean, you know, we, it sure we, does. we have fooled around over the years with silicates, bentonite, uh, acrylics and and but you the the hydrophilic hydrophobic chemistries today i mean the stuff like that you guys sell it's the guys have a much more predictable uh uh knowledge of what the results are going to be and that's so, that's huge yeah oh, go ahead jim yeah so do, i mean does that make sense i mean it's just, it, it sure does and, and you, <laughs> you answered the question in spades and, and it's it's interesting because it ties into a, a different segment we had earlier with regards to mock-ups, we had uh, Jake Holland of Summit Sealants out of Englewood, Colorado, speak to that exact thing. You mentioned coring and at the onset of a job, getting those forensics out of the way. And it's I think you find with the, with the top-tier installers like yourselves that when that type of activity is performed and those measures are taken at the onset, you're building trust with the client, and it's it's something that's so important because the truth remains: these injection jobs, these hydrophobics, hydrophilics. I can't I can't even express how many times I've I've spoken with very very smart people who just don't speak this language every day. So when you when you go through all of this and and do the analysis up front to determine what you're going to want to use based on what you've discovered, and you've got technicians that do have good materials in hand to make educated guesses, not just taking shots in the dark. I think it does well for everybody and it really fosters that integrated project delivery approach. So 100% on everything, Jim, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And it's it's critical to, to attack a job like this in, in that fashion. Um, in, in relation to the, the Packers, spacing on the Packers, uh, technically speaking with curtains and Felix and Phobics, specifically to Packers, what do you, what do you see as the range and what have your experiences uh, led you to led you to believe in terms of what you go with on Packer spacing for these elevator pits, Jim? Well, it, that's kind of a controversial question, Chris, because, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen. Even if even if you take a core, even if you run GPR and you, and you see you got a good dense mass, whether it's whatever the 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 the, se- the the section is however the section's built you really don't know what flow is going to be like until you're hooked up and you're pumping yep and and as you know you have to be sensitive to the owner's wallet and a big part of this business a big part of this work is labor yep and why would you drill 50 holes in a pit when you might be able to accomplish the task with 10 i love it Yep. And so, so well. you you know we don't we don't go out there and and drill a bunch of holes and set a bunch of packers and then the guys start pumping and realize they could have they could have accomplished the task with a fraction of of that effort. Yeah. So what our guys will do and we're doing this right now we we've got 
we've got uh, two or three jobs going on. I was on one yesterday that we're doing where I said, Jesus, man, you guys have really drilled a lot of holes here. And they said, well, the GPR, we're actually consolidating a, a honeycomb uh, concrete walls. Gotcha. And they, we, we just weren't getting the flow. We weren't getting the flow. And, and so we had to put more holes in. But, but they, they started with a you know, 12-inch, a 16-inch, 18-inch spacing. But at the end of the day, they had to get down to four to six inches to get proper flow and consolidation. So on, on, on this kind of grouting, if you can get the proper grout at the proper viscosity behind the mass and you have the right pump and you can pressurize it, you can push grout, Chris. I mean, yeah. you know, we were on a job together years ago in San Jose where we were pushing grout over 100 feet behind yeah. in, in, uh, prop, improperly consolidated water stops. Yeah. So we were pushing grout 100 feet through one hole, one packer. And even though the owner had to spend some money to fix the problem, we saved him a ton of money because we weren't in there drilling all these holes. So, you know, any time I see a spec and they've got this very uniform uh, uh, detail of, 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 of where they want the packers set, that tells me that the guy doesn't really know what he's doing. Right. And it also tells me he doesn't have any respect for the owner's wallet. Because, you know, drilling holes through six or eight or 12 inches of concrete, if it's good concrete and it's been wet for a while, yep. it's, <laughs> I yep. mean, we spend a lot of money on packers. We spend a lot more money on drills, drill bits, and hammer drills. Absolutely. So, I mean, does that answer the question? Yeah, you know, it, you, can have, you can have four pits on in one building, and they you could have four different processes to Correct. fix the problem. I mean, yep. the water's coming in, right? Yep. But you you might have uh, good consolidation of soil mass behind some, and not not too good behind some others. So anyway, it um, it's really it really boils down to the knowledge and experience of the guys doing the work. True story. Yeah, and, and for listeners out there, I mean, in a nutshell, this is it's it's about taking the steps that you need to to be able to attack the job the right way it's, it's no different you know i always make the analogy uh you could you could drive nails into into wood all day long with uh you know uh, a wrench right because it's heavy and it's made out of metal but a hammer sure as hell does a better job for you and knowing what you have ahead of you in terms of in situ conditions to be able to attack a job the right way with the right material it's jim you hit on you elaborated brilliantly on them, and we sincerely thank you for coming on the show. Listeners, take the points made by our guest today and really sit, sit and digest them. Listen to what Jim was saying about all the aspects of it, from the owners being sensitive to the owner's expenditures to the technical side. What kind of geostrata are behind, do we have behind the wall? What do we got going on? Do we need to use a filler or a phobic and why? not adhering to just a blanket, you know, blinders on packer spacing recommendation um, and absorb these things because it's going to help you in the long run. Jim, just want to say thanks again. Uh, best this holiday season to you and yours, uh, both at Family and American Restore. And uh, we want to just really wish you guys all the best as 2020 comes to a close. Thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. That, Take care. Bye-bye.